This audio contains mention of alleged sexual assault. Welcome back to Hidden Cases. This week we will hear from Subject 2B, who was arrested on September 6th in South Central, while attempting to attend a protest demanding justice for Dijon Kizzy. We will also take a look back at the case of Maitrice Richardson, 24, who went missing in 2009. If you haven't listened to the introduction to Hell Week, you may want to go back and listen to it now. It could give you a better context for the following story. We do have one correction from the introduction to Hell Week. We reported Dijon was shot in the back. According to an autopsy report, Kizzy had four rapidly life-threatening wounds to the lungs, heart, liver, and left kidney. One shot was to the upper center of his back, and three were to his chest, according to the report. Kizzy also had abrasions to his shoulders, face, and other areas. He was shot 16 times. Subject 2B, Hell Week, and Maitrice Richardson. I am drawn to this kind of activism because throughout my entire life, I've seen our criminal justice system disproportionately punish Black, Brown, and poor people. I, you know, think that we have a First Amendment right here to protest. And we often, you know, this summer saw that very quickly shut down by LAPD and LASD because they didn't agree with us and not really for any other reason. So anyway, that night, I actually never made it to the action. By the time I got there, it was after apparently, and I wasn't here to hear, I wasn't there to hear the dispersal order. I showed up late. Uh, I think it was somewhere between 10 and 11, like nine maybe. Uh, but it was, it was after dark and after the um, dispersal order had already been given, but I wasn't in proximity to hear it. I never made it to the sheriff's station that night. I never made it, you know, to a big, to a big group. I never, you know, I kind of showed up late, walked around a few blocks away, didn't see anything, saw like little scatters here and there, like police helicopters, but didn't interact with any officers or, really much of the on the on the ground presence, which is one of the like many reasons my arrest was so fucked up. I was on my way back to the car, still didn't speak, didn't hear any like dispersal order, thought of like hear anything from any cops, walked back to the car, got like into the car to leave. And then as we were pulling out, we were like surrounded by me and the one comrade I was with were like surrounded by police in like full military gear, like guns blazing, like get the fuck out of the car, you're going to jail. And of course, like, you know, I'm telling it now with a little bit more like levity, but at the time I, they didn't even look like, they didn't even look like LESD. They, I, they, I felt like it was under some kind of like military occupations. People have their faces covered. They've got like, it, it didn't even look like riot gear. Like it looked like they were ready for war for me with my backpack full of like hand sanitizer and extra masks. And I, I was really stunned. I thought they had like the wrong person. I was like, <laughs> you don't mean me. Like I right. actually didn't do anything, <laughs> but no, they did mean me. And they kind of, you know, ripped me and my companion out of the car and wouldn't tell us why. It was like, get out. no, like, no, seriously, get out. And then at one point, he, like, picked up his, you know, the the big green guns that mm-hmm. shoot the, uh, like, rubber, I think it's the, the foam, foam bullets. And, like, yeah. put that up. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I don't want to take a rubber bullet to the dome. I'll get out. Um, and that was really, yeah, it was just, 
like I said, it's, it's, it was definitely really traumatic. And now I can kind of, you know, come around and, and have a little bit of like, okay, well, that was just absurd because what was I doing? Who was I harming? What did I do that night to deserve that kind of treatment? And the answer is nothing, nothing, nothing. And they wouldn't tell us like what the charges were, what we were accused of, what was what, like, just like no answers. My like arresting officer or whatever, whoever like yanked me out and put the handcuffs on me was like probably rougher than he needed to be because I really wasn't resisting. And I even remember someone saying stop resisting at one point and I was just like calmly walking in front of them. I wasn't physically hurt in any meaningful way during this. It wasn't until we got like closer to the station. I remember kind of being like separated from the comrade I was with and I was given... Uh, by a different person. I was like switched off like several times from, from officer to officer <laughs> all night. I don't know if they do that on purpose. So it's harder to remember who did what, or if that's just how their operation works. Wouldn't really put anything past LASD at this point. But, you know, like they like made several like disparaging comments about everybody that was arrested, whether it was about our looks or if they liked the way we looked or, you know, but at this point it was still like, it's just scary to be grabbed by a bunch of men that you don't know and they don't tell you why and taken to a place. Like I didn't know what to call that other than kidnapping because why did you, <laughs> what are you arresting me for? Like you don't know and I don't know. So you're just picking me out of a car and dragging me somewhere and like not even explaining that. Certainly not like the movies. Like they don't, they don't like take you out and read you your Miranda rights and ex explain what's going on. So anyway, uh, we got to the station and then they, uh, like gave me a, what I would consider like a pretty normal pat down outside. Um, it wasn't a male officer that did it, but it didn't feel, I wouldn't say it was like the right thing to do because I think the arrest was illegal and done to punish me for my political opinions and not because I was suspected of a crime. Even that first pat down that was like above board to me is sexual assault the same way that if a doctor invents a reason to grab your breasts or grab your vagina or touch you like that and it's not an actual needed medical reason, that is a sexual assault. So for me, it's like from start to finish, this is fucked up. You had no reason. And, you know, there's still no charges filed in my case because there was no reason for my arrest. So the first pat down was outside and was pretty like, I guess what you would consider to be like a normal pat down. Um, I don't know why they couldn't have a girl do it, but it wasn't particularly invasive. It really just felt like they were looking for weapons or whatever. I was like, I was trying to be as like silent and compliant as possible. I was scared. I know that like in my retellings, a lot of times when I talk to people about it, there's a lot more like humor and jokes and like that's definitely uh my way of coping yeah. more than uh the truth of the scenario um I was scared I was probably at, at several points like a little like it's like okay so I'm out there like fighting against the system because I know that it's fucked up and I know that it's not fair and I know that they don't act the way that we have this idea that police officers act with maybe when we're little kids or something. Uh, but then when you're like in the middle of it and you're going like, you know, there are times where I wanted to argue, well, that's not correct or that's not by the book. And it's like, no, they, they know that and they don't care and nothing's going to happen to them for this. And that like sense of powerlessness is really, 
I don't know. It was just like unique, tra- traumatic in a unique way for me. And it really like kind of, you know, there's, you can know something intellectually and read about it all day, but when you're, when you're there in the middle of it happening to you, it is a, a different, different experience. There is just nothing I could do except wait it out. And so we were searched again inside the jail by a female officer. And that was a lot more invasive. Like, I mean, she had her fingers not like all the way up inside my vagina, but much, much more intense than what like the TSA would do on a bad day. Um, And like under my breasts and stuff. I know other people ended up being like that were taken to Twin Towers ended up getting like strip searched, but I don't want to like speak on anyone else's experience. But I do know that that's happened to various comrades throughout this entire movement. Um, I wasn't made to get naked in front of men that I know of, but I was like facing the other direction. I really don't know who was watching or not. Like the whole thing was kind of just, I don't know. It's like, it's like hard to talk about. Um, But one thing that really, really like bothered me in this case is I was wearing like a black, long sleeve mesh shirt and I had a black sports bra under it uh, and it was definitely like not the kind of shirt that you would wear without a bra because it was mesh and it was see-through and they told me I had to take off my bra I assumed just so they could like search it um and then I so I took my sports bra off and like put my shirt back on and they said I couldn't have it back because you couldn't have a bra in jail which is just completely, I'm pretty sure is made up. Um, and I was like, okay, well, can I have like a jail shirt? And there he said, no. So I spent the entirety of the rest of my arrest in mixed company of like officers and whoever else went to the jail, like in a semi sheer mesh shirt with no bra. And, uh, someone told me later that Sometimes they'll take a bra that has wires, but this one didn't. It was a completely wireless sports bra. It didn't have wires or pads. It was just like a miniature tank top or like camisole. There was no way I could have harmed myself or anybody else with it. So that felt really unnecessary and, you know, cruel. I remember when I got out, uh, when my friends were there to do jail support, the first thing that I asked for, well, after I like cried a little bit, <laughs> Uh, the very first thing I asked for is like, I was like, I know this is weird, but I just want to like go into someone's car and put my bra back on. <laughs> so I like, feel like I've just showed 45 people my breasts that I did not want to. So that was probably the most like striking aspect of, of the ordeal for me. And one that definitely felt like if they have policies or procedures that they follow around, you know, trying to give any kind of like dignity or comfort to their inmates didn't follow those those policies. But yeah, for me, it's like I, I said earlier, even if that is the rule, then you give me like another shirt to wear, or you give me whatever jail bra exists, or you don't have yeah. any like male officers look at me. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to, I want to be very clear that um, I wasn't naked. Like it's, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen those like mesh Under Armour type shirts, but it wasn't something I was comfortable with and it was unnecessary. But it was, but it was semi-sheer. So it was essentially you were exposed. I felt exposed. I wouldn't have made that choice on my own. It was like, yeah, like I'm sure 
I, I feel like there are certain places that I could, if I were to go in that outfit, like if I didn't have a, a bra on, they'd say, you have to go home and put a shirt on. So that was, uh, yeah, that was, was really upsetting. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, you want to make those choices for yourself and yeah. not have them taken away from you by an occupying force in South Central. Also, there was another time, like, and this isn't like a physical thing, but during my arrest, on two occasions, police officers came to my cell to like tell me what a horrible neighborhood South Central was. And in that description, which was like very racist, and I, I suppose intended to scare me, they kept talking about how uh, all these gang members were like rapists and they were going to let me out with no cell phone in the middle of this horrible neighborhood where someone might rape me. And, you know, my only response to that is, okay, well, you know, the only people that kidnapped me, robbed me, and sexually assaulted me tonight are you. No one else in this neighborhood has ever given me a problem. On September 17th, 2009, Matrice Richardson, 24, went missing after being released from the Lost Hills Sheriff's Station at 12.30 a.m. Matrice was taken into custody by LASD for failing to pay her bill of $89 at the upscale Oceanside restaurant of Joffrey's in Malibu. Days leading up to her arrest, Maitrese had been acting out of character. The valet, staff, and patrons at Joffrey's all noticed her behavior was odd. Maitrese made remarks she was from Mars and was there to avenge the death of Michael Jackson. Maitrese's family tried to help her every step of the way. Maitrice called her grandmother from Joffrey's. Her grandmother offered to pay her bill, but the restaurant wouldn't take payment over the phone without a faxed signature. The staff called 911 after Maitrice was unable to pay her bill sufficiently, and they were concerned for her well-being. Lost Hill Sheriff's Station, Deputy Shalette, I can help you. Hi, I'm calling from Joffrey's restaurant in Malibu. Yeah. Um, we have a guest here who is refusing to pay her bill, and we think she may... I mean, she sounds really crazy. She may be on drugs or something. Um, we were wondering if someone could come by and pick her up. Okay. Well, what's the address there? It's 27400 mm-hmm. Pacific Coast Highway. And is she a white, black, Asian, Hispanic? She's a um, young black girl. She's probably in her 20s. Okay. What's she wearing? She's wearing a black T-shirt and I think blue jeans. Is she with anybody else? No, it's just her. When the sheriffs arrived, they gave Maitrice a sobriety test, which she passed. They impounded her car and arrested her on a citizen's arrest for defrauding an innkeeper and a small amount of marijuana they found in her car during a search for her wallet. But in a later search by LAPD, the wallet was located. Maitrice had over $2,000 in her accounts. Maitrice's grandmother contacted Maitrice's mother and filled her in on the situation. Maitrice's mother called Lost Hills Station looking for her daughter. I am calling. I'm a little frazzled right now. I understand my daughter is being brought into the station. Maitrice Richardson, have they made it to the station yet? And she's been booked. Okay. Is, is, do you know where she's coming from? Uh, it's some restaurant out in Malibu, and I, I didn't even think to get the name. The okay, manager's yeah, name the is... Only, the only place we have somebody that's in custody that they just announced on the radio that they're coming up is from Joffrey's in Joffrey. Pacific Highway. 
It's okay. the only female that's being brought up to the station as we speak. They actually just put it on the radio right before you called. Okay, okay. I'm I'm her mother, oh, okay. and are you guys want to book her and then release her on her own recognizant tonight because it, it's it's dark. She doesn't have a car, and I don't want her wandering out. I'm I'm totally just taken aback because this is so out of character for her. Yeah. And you'll see when she comes in, she she's well spoken. I think the only way I will come and get her tonight is if you guys are going to release her tonight. Yeah. If, if going to be held in custody for some type of arraignment tomorrow, mm -hmm. then I will wait until tomorrow. She definitely has no place, you know, I mean, she's not from that area, and I would hate to wake up to a morning report, go yeah. lost somewhere with her head chopped off, uh -oh. so I guess I would have to come and get her. Oh, my God. Yeah, we're in a great hills. The only thing is, at least in the station here, she will be separated, so nobody's going to be with her. Uh, so at least that's, you know, the plus thing, so you don't have to worry about her safety. Uh, oh, yeah. No, I feel safe with her being yeah. in, in custody. It's being released, but I'm worried about it. It's, it's crazy out here. All right. Well, then I will more than likely call and touch bases with you guys a little bit later. Okay. Um, yeah, she'll call you as soon as she comes in, too. At 5.30 a.m., Latisse calls the Lost Hills Sheriff's Station again. The officers inform Latisse that her daughter had been released at 12.30 a.m. Officers informed her that they had no reason to keep her daughter. The sheriffs offered her to stay in the station or in the lobby, which Maitrice allegedly declined. Maitrice was released without her phone or car, which was at the impound lot near Joffrey's. No officers offered her a ride to her car. Latisse called the sheriff's station again shortly after there was no word from Maitrice. Yes, good, good morning. My name is Latisse Bratton. I'm calling to follow up on my daughter who was brought in last night around 10.30, 11 o'clock. Okay, let me chat through the jailer. Hold on, please. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Lost Hill Station, Baumgartner. Yes, hi. My name is Latisse Bratton. I called not too long ago regarding my daughter, Maitrice Richardson. How long before a missing person's report can be filed? Is it 24 or 48 hours? That's normal. Well, it depends on the circumstances, but uh, um, I, I didn't take your call, so I'm not familiar with it. Did she just not return home after going out? She was arrested last night. This is the first time she's been arrested. Um, she's in an unknown area mm -hmm. she's never been in. She's without a vehicle. Nobody can find her. And, and where was this at? Where was she arrested at? Your your facility. Her name is Maitrice Richardson. Okay. Do Do you know if she's if she's here now or was she released? They said she was released. Okay. And what time was she released? Um, at, at just shortly after 12 a.m. Yeah. Normally, I we wouldn't I wouldn't recommend doing one. Uh, that soon. Um, right. What is the time frame? You know, I, I guess probably 24 hours would be reasonable. I mean, okay. if, if there would be some some mitigating factors, you know, where, you know, you would suspect maybe something, you know, well, not yeah. right, right? She doesn't know the area. She's never been in your area before. Where, do, where, do you, where does she live? She is unfamiliar with that area. Do she you think she possibly could have gotten a bus? Home? No. And oh, listen, my child has never ridden a bus. Okay. No, right. she would not know how to ride a bus. <laughs> I would probably wait till you know, 
early this morning, and if she doesn't turn up, you can certainly call. I don't suspect anything um, bad happened. I'm concerned because, uh, well, first of all, I thought they were going to keep her overnight because she was highly intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Um, something, something is obviously going on with her. Have you she talked tried- to the jailer? And yes, 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 I have. He said he tried to get her to stay, but because she was an adult, they had to let her go. I, I believe that she is highly depressed, um, and she, she, she's in a depressive state. You know, it could be possible that maybe she, I mean, there's a lot of options and I, a lot of possibilities, and I don't think all of them would be, um, you know, something dire. But I can certainly understand your fears, you know, being your daughter and all that. Well, um, I think she's depressed. That's what has me. Is that what, that's worried that. you more than just her? Okay. That and the fact that she's in an area where she doesn't know where she's at. Yeah, does so. she take medication at all? No, she. I I believe it's a state that she's in right now because of just the the weird activities that's been going on. What, what's your name? Day. What's your her name? name is, her name is Matrice okay. Richardson. Okay, and your name, ma'am? Latisse. Okay, Latisse. Here, here's what I want you to do. Let yes. get. Why don't you wait a couple hours and and give us some time to kind of. I'll go back and talk to the jailer and try and get a timeline of when she was released and, you know, make sure she's not asleep in our lobby or anything like that. And then once you give us a call back in a couple hours, if she hasn't shown up or made contact with you, then maybe we can do something for you, okay? Around 6.30 a.m., a former KTLA reporter, Bill Smith, makes a report of a strange woman with a similar description of Mitrice in his backyard. Yeah, hi. Hey, uh, this is uh, uh, Smith at Cold Canyon. We had a prowler walking around through the backyard here, but we don't know what the situation was. I don't know if you have a unit in the area. might do a little drive-by or something. Okay, where is this at? This is Cold Canyon, like hot and cold in Monte Nito. Um, and it's in the back of the house, uh, which is right where Wood Bluff hits, the, hits uh, Cold Canyon. And we just had a strange woman walking through the backyard here. It's a fairly large property, and she was sitting on the steps right, right in the back of the house here. Uh, this is kind of a circular driveway, and the gates were closed, so we don't know where this woman came from. And you said the cross was Wood Bluff? Yeah, that's right. Uh, there's there's a, a horse trail, act, hiking trail access through here, but we've never had this kind of happen, thing happen before. <laughs> What's she look like? White, black, Hispanic? Uh, you know, a tall, slim, black woman with Afro hair. How tall? Uh, well, she was sitting down, stretched out on the wooden steps in the back of the house. Hard to tell, but uh, she looked like she might have been medium to slightly tall, uh, with a big afro hair, very skinny. And I think she was wearing maybe jeans or tight pants with a t-shirt. You've never, you've never seen her there before? No, never. Nobody ever does that. I mean, the, the people hike on the trail all the time. We, you know, the trail goes through our property, but we leave it open on purpose because it's kind of a nice thing for horses and people. And you said she's laying across the. She was laying across the steps, or but she was sitting, kind of sprawled out on the on these wooden steps in the back of the house, right against the back of the house. She's yeah. since got up and left. Uh, she's since gone. Yeah, she's been gone about five minutes now. But as we thought it over, we thought maybe a little drive-by wouldn't be a bad idea. And what direction was she? She last seen headed? Never saw her. She well, once she left, she just disappeared. Uh, we I moved from one window to another. I said to her, I, I hollered down, "Are you all right?" And she said, "I'm just resting," or something like that. Uh, but. 
uh, she's certainly gone out of her way to get to that close to the house because the, the hiking trail is not that close. It's on the ridge. All right. We'll send somebody out and check the area for her. Appreciate that very much. Not a problem, sir. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Twelve hours after the report comes in from Bill Smith, LASD informs Latisse of the possible sighting while Latisse is at the sheriff's station making a missing persons report for her daughter. Furious, Latisse goes to the location of the report and begins to search for Matrice. The case gets transferred to LAPD after the missing persons report is filed. Two days after the call is made to LASD of the possible sighting of Matrice, LAPD then begins to search the area. Dogs picked up the scent in Bill Smith's backyard of Matrice. They follow the scent to the neighbor's house. Then it just trailed off. LAPD then searched her car at the impound lot. Inside her car, they located her wallet, phone, and journals, which were filled with scrolls of nonsensical writing. Her social media posts were concerning and signaled a mental health crisis to her family. Her family also had several bizarre interactions with Maitrese in the days leading up to her disappearance. Latisse asked LASD for the footage of her daughter in custody at the Lost Hill station. LASD claimed at the time there was no footage, that the cameras were for surveillance only. Maitrice's family hired a lawyer and held a press conference calling for accountability and transparency from the sheriff's station. Soon after, the sheriffs released a report to the family saying they had no reason to believe Maitrice had any cognitive issues and she was sober when she was released. From then on, the relationship between LASD and the Richardson family grows tense. Latisse meets with the detective who informs her they have footage of Maitrice from that night. The sheriffs claim they thought Latisse wanted footage from outside the station and not inside the cell. The footage was only shown to her family. They claim the footage was highly edited and Maitrice looks distressed while in her cell. When Maitrice is released, another officer is seen leaving at the same time. LASD refused to reveal who the officer was seen leaving after Maitrice. January 9th, 2010, another search is executed in the area without any results again. June 26, 2020, Latisse announced she is filing six different claims against LASD, two of which were negligence and wrongful death. During this time, there are some possible sightings of Maitrice in Las Vegas. August 9, 2010, around 1 p.m., Malibu State Rangers were hiking down Dark Canyon. There had been an illegal marijuana grow in that area. While they were investigating, they found a human skull and the mummified naked remains of a woman, along with clothing matching the descriptions of what Maitrice was wearing the night she went missing. It took four days to confirm that this was indeed Maitrice. She was found only two miles from where she was last seen. The rangers call the sheriffs to inform them of the remains. LASD quickly arrive on the scene. Sheriffs then broke protocol by waiting to inform the coroner's office of the discovery. LASD, against protocol again, airlifted the remains out of Dark Canyon without the coroner's permission and disrupted the crime scene. With so much mishandling of the remains, the coroner's never being on the scene, and the sheriff's lack of crime scene investigation, the cause of death was undetermined by the coroners. On top of everything, Maitrice's clothing was never tested for forensics. Later, Maitrice's family, when visiting the crime scene, found one of Maitrice's fingers that had not been collected by the sheriff's department. 
when the sheriffs make threats about discharging arrested persons without help in the middle of the night with no phone. These are not empty threats. They have a history of endangering people within their custody. My Teresa's death is still undetermined. If you know anything about my Teresa's death, please visit bringmytreeshome.org and update the family with any information you may have. So, you know, I don't know if they're trying to like scare me straight, but they just proved the entire point of why I was out there in the first place. I had one other comrade. It was not the person I got arrested with. I assume they separated us to just create more confusion and terror. I don't want to speak on anyone else's stories, but uh, I will just say that like all the treatment that I, I endured was horrific and, you know, specifically intended to punish or scare or humiliate me. Uh, And I don't even think it really scratches the surface to what I even just saw that night happen to other people. I think, you know, part of that probably has to do with the fact that I'm younger, white. Um, They seemed to even back off a little bit as soon as they realized, and this is really like disappointing to say, but as soon as they realized that I had what some people might consider a a good job or, you know, resources. Um, And like, yeah, so like anything that I'm saying that doesn't, doesn't scratch the surface to how they treat our our comrades that they, they deem to be, that they deem to have like less resources to fight back or, you know, the ability to, you know, recognize when they're like being, treated in a way like that not that those things are true I'm just trying to speak to the police oh yeah I don't think either of these are like particularly damning in and of themselves um but when you put them in the context of these people are holding you against your will um with weapons and you're a woman alone with a bunch of men it does feel different um but when they took my mug shot they referred to it as fleeky and called other officers over to look at it uh and then when they were taking me to the station because I had my hair in like pigtails because that's an easy way to keep my hair like up and out of my face because it's long uh, they refer to me as a bootleg Wednesday Adams. It's, it's just, it's unnecessary and it's, you know, it's designed to humiliate us. Yeah. Pretty much everyone that, not, I don't want to say every officer that acted like badly that night because they all did. Um, but the most like ridiculous, immature commentary probably came from men in their 40s. And I assume that's because they feel like they can get away with whatever they want to. But, you know, like for me, one of the biggest reasons I I, I felt like I needed to do this interview is I just really wanted to say something that's been on my mind for so long. And that's been, doesn't really matter like what the details of a pat down are. If it's only done to punish me because you want to repress my political opinions because you don't want me to exercise my rights and you don't want me to use my voice. If you're, if you're arresting people and you're, you know, dragging them away from their lives and holding them against their will for no reason other than you don't like what they have to say 
And the LASD historically has a history of doing this, um, then, then none of it's above board. And every time you touch me is an assault. And every time you touch any of us is an assault. And when you take our property and don't give it back, that's stealing. It's got nothing to do with the law and everything to do with their grudge against us. Uh, and they don't care. I remember, you know, I, I tried to keep my interactions with them as brief as possible, which they tried to make as hard as possible. A lot of people kind of cycled up and through my cell throughout the night. Um, I don't know what the, like, just to amuse themselves by harassing me and my cellmate, it felt like. They took pictures of us on their private cell phones. Um, while you I were in to, the, while you were in holding? Yeah, not, not mugshots, um, just like on their own cell phones while we were in holding. That happened twice. Um, when I talked to the NLG, they said that they'd heard that from a lot of people. You know, I even asked somebody about it and they were like, well, there's no law against it. And I'm like, okay, uh, maybe we should make one because it's, you know, if, presumably if someone's been arrested, they, they haven't been convicted and there's no reason that they should, you know, be treated like a zoo animal. Like, but I, I, you know, at that point, it's like, what are you doing with those photos? Um, are you doxing us? Are they for your own enjoyment? And so, yeah, at least two LASD officers have photos of me on their cell phones for some reason. It's drilled into all of our heads that we speak to the police as little as possible. I have no statement. I want my lawyer, et cetera. But at one point, I remember just getting kind of indignant and being like, you know, everything about this was illegal from start to finish to an officer who replied, that's the judge's problem now. They don't care. And I don't know what gets it to stop other than, you know, making them not a thing anymore. <laughs> yeah, nowadays, I mean... Before that, it's not like I'd never had a run-in with a protest or a police officer. I will say I don't have any, like, record. You know, I've never been in trouble with the law. Like, I never, that was my first arrest in my life and haven't had one since. I've never been convicted of a crime. I've never even got a speeding ticket. I'm a boring goody-do-shoes. <laughs> but, you know, even having interacted with police and, and a lot of, like, kind of maybe more tense frontline scenarios uh, I never had the reaction that I thought I would have like I never had the kind of reaction that I have now especially right after my arrest when I see a sheriff's uniform even if it's not LASD it's like a pit in my stomach like I, I have like an almost instant panic attack and I've been around them for a year now since then and it's still the same thing it's like uh, the body keeps score <laughs> and it's it's been really surprising to me just how much it stuck with me. I wanted to kind of minimize it for a while afterwards. I didn't really want my story to take up space or to like speak over anyone because it, it really did feel so mild compared to things that I've, I've heard of and I've seen the police do to others. But the more I sat with it over a year, I was like, okay, well, just because they, you know, sexually assaulted me but they didn't rape me are we gonna not talk about it like that's like it's not gonna become okay by comparison thank you for tuning in to this special episode of hidden cases we'll be updating our website with sources and more information on the mitrice richardson case for more information visit hiddencasespodcast.com you may have noticed we took last week off 
I'm deeply dedicated to this work, and up until last week, I've been producing the podcast all on my own, as well as working a full-time job. I'm happy to announce we have a new member on the Hidden Cases team, Roach Queen. They will be helping us create closed captions for each episode on our YouTube channel. If you have been affected by police sexual misconduct and you'd like to share your story, please email hiddencasesla at gmail.com. If you'd like to join the community, please join us on Instagram and Twitter at hidden underscore cases. Hidden Cases is written and produced by Strawberry Fields. Thanks for listening, and remember, we keep us safe.